0: thanks for joining us everyone we are here live it is time for by the bushel as always here we are uh... with our bi-weekly meetings with barry bean he is with the missouri farm bureau board barry how are you doing today
1: well i'm doing okay i'm doing all right we've had a uh, another big day in the uh, in the cotton market and uh... and in the rest of the markets uh... Well, we had a day um, in Farm Bureau. We're getting ready for our annual meeting, so have a lot going on there, and um, it's a, it's an exciting time to be alive. Uh, I wish I could say I'd been out enjoying this beautiful weather today, but no, <laughs> no such luck there. It was a, I mean, it was at least tolerable the early earlier this morning, but it was still a little bit a, uh, a little bit gray and dismal. But we're we're doing okay.
0: Sure, sure. It uh, it is uh, one of those those shifts in that autumn weather we have so many different sides and shapes and uh, colors of it coming in this this year whether it's uh, quite warm or quite cold or anything in between and also the overcast skies are, are changing on us so we've got that to watch for As of course and this allows for a plug to to watch with grant this evening as he's going to give us all those forecasts and uh, take us through that um, and so as always we, we want to uh, uh, get a look at where our market is and hopefully you can take us through that Barry with regards to uh, where things are for agriculture and agribusiness right now.
1: Well I absolutely can and we will start as we always do with me uh, fumbling around with technology here to uh, get our screen up for us. Let's see here that should be uh, there we go yeah, we had a had a, had a good day on, on the cotton market today. As you can see there, the, uh, the March cotton futures were at 80.61. We are, of course, uh, at first notice day on the December futures, so all the uh, trading of the old crop has moved to March. And the new December cotton is at 76.55, up 177. Uh, the old crop corn, uh, the other uh, old crop, Futures that are still on the board closed at a uh, 665 and two thirds, and then uh, looking towards uh, next year, this is where things get a little more interesting. As I mentioned, new crop cotton is at 76.55, new crop soybeans are at 13.96, and new crop corn is at 611. You can also see there the new crop wheat is just under eight dollars. And new crop uh, rice is at 1583, and this is, of course, uh, prompting a lot of conversation in market circles about what uh, what plantings will be going into 2023. And let me let me bring back bring this back to uh, there. We go. We'll we'll get back to doing this in person here, but um, obviously. Uh, We have this conversation every year as uh, producers finish with the harvest, as they market what's left of their uh, old crop. uh, We get into this situation where we're trying to decide what we're gonna plant for for the next year, and then the market tries to guess, and there's a lot of guessing going back and forth. But uh, certainly right now, to uh, to look at the futures, one would expect that we are gonna see a lot of soybeans and corn, uh, most likely a lot of wheat going into uh, 2023, and that may be the biggest news uh, today looking at, at where the market is. Uh, we're seeing uh, with this rally in cotton, that's, uh, that's good news, although we are seeing the, uh, the cotton basis widen a little bit. We had a, a couple of the merchants that we talked to this morning have uh, widened their basis anywhere between 50 and 100 points. Um, as you know, the river is still low, so a basis on, uh, on grain going to the river is still uh, still fairly unattractive Um, so uh, so we've got we've got a lot of things that are that are pushing us uh, back and forth but uh, but it is certainly time that we are starting to look at new crop and uh, i was just right before we went on on air as as you know i am a a cotton merchant and cotton buyer as well was talking to a customer and when i asked him if he was going to plant 76 cotton 14 beans or uh, $6 uh, corn, um, he just, he kind of laughed and he said, well, Barry, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, but I, I think uh, I'm going to be planting a lot more beans than uh, than cotton this next year unless that changes. Of course, these conversations will continue and, and the conversation is never fully settled until there is a seed in the ground and a plant coming up, so uh, that all, that all remains, uh, remains to be seen. Um, a lot of other things going on in the background a lot of other news stories that are that are pushing things i guess the uh the, the biggest story and this is one that is uh, i don't think it's possible to uh, overestimate how important this is and that is china um you know in real estate they always talk about the three r's how there are three important things like or 3l location 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 well as far as commodities go right now, it's China, China, China. And um, I mean, first and foremost, we've got uh, some of the largest popular uprisings in China that they have seen since, uh, I believe it was 1989 in uh, the last major uprising of, of this size. Um, they've, got, they've got another outbreak of COVID going on, which has prompted China to institute their zero COVID policy. Which, uh, which makes the abs- absolute most draconian masking and quarantine that, that we saw in the United States look like a pretty, pretty liberal uh, suggestion um, as opposed to, uh, to the program in China with factories shut down, people in their houses, uh, travel on the streets, uh, banned, and Chinese don't like that. Um, and of course, directly that's, that impacts us on all of our commodities, it shuts down plants it shuts down the uh, chinese consumers of, of ability to purchase u.s commodities it, ch- it shuts down the uh, chinese um, industrial consumers ability to consume our our commodities so that's an issue um, the, the uprising is a, a direct challenge to uh, president xi and uh, given that uh, he already has a tendency to be more authoritative and doctrinaire um, people do compare him to Mao as uh, maybe a little bit less idealistic than Mao, but certainly not anywhere near as pragmatic and Western and friendly as his predecessors. And uh, this is a major challenge for President Xi. Um, you know, in addition, you have the continuing uh, tensions over Taiwan, international pressure that he's getting. On, uh, on Taiwan, uh, you have international pressure and boycotts for uh, products coming out of the Xinjiang region. Um, you know, we've talked on this show and elsewhere. Unless you've been under a rock, you know about the Uyghur people who live in what what essentially would constitute slavery uh, the, in, in, by any modern standard, and uh, using a lot of slave labor to uh, to produce crops and produce products there, and. Um, that has brought a lot of international boycotts uh, which are of limited use because it's it's hard to track products these days uh, Given that how many steps they go through Between the uh, the raw commodity and the finished product, but that is an awful lot of pressure And the u.s. As I said along with other countries applying pressure over Taiwan to keep uh, Taiwan free The Chinese are trying to quash dissent in Taiwan and now in the mainland so uh, Awful lot to watch in China. Um, China is uh, both directly and indirectly one of the largest consumers. Uh, indirectly, they are the largest consumer of nearly everything that we grow and make. Uh, directly, there are other customers that uh, that come into the come into the mix. Uh, for instance, with cotton, they they actually have uh, basically shifted. Some of the yarn spinning to uh, to other countries where uh, where we directly sell to uh, Vietnam or Bangladesh, they spin it to yarn and then it goes to uh, China to be spun. Uh, similar with uh, with soybeans, for instance, a lot of which uh, we're going to China for uh, for consumption by the Chinese hog herd. Uh, some of those can go through other countries, but uh, but it all. Uh, it all comes down to pressure on our u.s market pressure on the world market Um, additionally china being the largest market in the world now um, is also undergoing some severe recession and that is applying pressure to uh, to all markets in the world especially uh, europe and in the united states where not only are they a consumer of uh, raw market materials they're also a provider of consumer electronics that we all provide Um, you know you may have Heard or read about the um, the workers walking off the assembly lines at the Foxconn assembly plant, which I believe may be the largest factory in the world and probably most important to uh, to all of us. That is the factory where our iPhones and Macintosh products and iPads, etc., are manufactured. So uh, if you haven't if you haven't already ordered your uh, your your Mac or your iPhone or your iPad for Christmas, uh, you should probably be prepared for some delays there, and uh, and obviously that that is a that's something that has a ripple effect going through the the rest of the economy. So, uh, awful lot of things going on in China that are that are directly pushing our both our commodity prices and the macro economy around. Uh, another thing is that we are looking at the uh, rail strike, uh, which we thought we had settled. Back in September, however, four of the twelve railroad unions have uh, opted out of the September agreement and are threatening to go back on strike uh, December the 9th. Uh, I believe that would be the end of well a week a week from tomorrow, um, and so that has uh, that has an awful lot of uh, awful lot of potential for for problems there. Uh, not not directly for cotton, but certainly a big problem for the grains, um, especially given the river issues, there are a lot of grains that are, that are headed for rail to, uh, to get shipped to the Gulf or get shipped to, uh, to final destination. So if those four unions go on strike, um, that's gonna be a big effect on uh, agriculture. It's gonna be a big effect across the entire economy. The whole economy goes down, people eat a little cheaper, they buy fewer luxury goods. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't think I have to do the full dot to dot for, uh, for anyone who's uh, paying attention to this show, and because as we know, if you're watching this show, you're smarter than the average uh, television viewer. <laughs> um, another uh, a couple of things going on, um, something that we are watching very closely is, um, as, as we I believe we've mentioned this before, Mexico has, uh, is getting ready to institute a uh, no GMO and no glyphosate products allowed in Mexico, no products raised with glyphosate, uh, which is, of course, the primary weed killer uh, used on uh, on our GMO cotton, corn, and soybeans. Uh, this is primarily going to affect corn. Mexico is our largest uh, market for, uh, for U.S. corn, and it's actually the number two market for all U.S. agricultural goods. Um, this is a this is of of major major concern you know we just passed the us mca under the previous administration uh that replaced nafta that we uh passed uh shoot i i think it was 20 years ago so we, we've had a free trade agreement with uh with mexico going back decades and it has worked it's been a positive thing for for the u.s farmer it's been a positive thing for the u.s economy However, this uh, GMO ban, which runs directly afoul of the USMCA rule, uh, that stands for the US-Mexico-Canada Trade Agreement, um, and um, this this has the potential to cause all sorts of problems. We're not the only ones seeing the potential for problems here. Argentina and Brazil are also uh, weighing in. This will probably end up going to the the world court if uh, Mexico doesn't back down, from what I was reading um, just today, I was reading an interview with uh, Mary Kay Thatcher, who some people may know as uh, formerly the uh, legislative director for American Farm Bureau, now a uh, now a lobbyist and um, consultant for Syngenta, one of the largest uh, corn uh, corn seed breeders in the uh, in the world, um, has said that uh, she believes. That this is a personal cause of the Mexican president, and uh, that, that nothing short of a U.S. presidential president to president negotiation is going to bring him out of this. That he is absolutely uh, bound; he's idealistically committed to this. So we will be uh, we will be watching that. Um, that's going to be a major issue for uh, for corn producers. But um, you know, if if they go forward with this with this ban. I don't think you have to be uh, too much of a uh, either either a conspiracy theorist or paranoid or look too far into a crystal ball to see that a soybean ban would likely be next. Potentially wheat, potentially cotton, uh, potentially rice bans, based on uh, on their notions about what sort of uh, crop protection products we are using here in the United States. So, uh, so that's something that certainly bears watching. We're going, to, uh, we're going to hope that um, with, the added, um, with the added concern coming in from Argentina and Brazil that Mexico will look to its three biggest suppliers and trade partners and decide that it, it is better to have um, good trading partners and perhaps to actually look at the science that shows that our GMO technology and glyphosate are uh, entirely safe uh, when used uh, according to uh, current standards. So that's something that we're watching, and uh, and finally uh, one more thing uh, to uh, to keep you up at night is that uh, as we talked back in September, when there was a chance of a, a government shutdown, the uh, the Congress uh, kicked the budget kicked the budget can down the road, so to speak, and kicked it down to uh, December the uh, 16th. Right now, the government is funded by a continuing resolution. Um, now, if you don't follow this, you know that Congress can't simply spend money. They have to spend money within a given budget. It may not seem like it, given the debt, but, uh, of course, there's nothing that says a budget can't be in the red, and, uh, and ours frequently is. But um, still, without that budget, the government shuts down everything except for essential services. and. Um, those of us in agriculture know that when this happens, it's bad for business. Um, anybody in business knows that when the government shuts down, there are an awful lot of services that we depend on that all of a sudden go away and uh, it causes problems. So uh, we are hopeful that on December 16th, that the uh, Congress will look at this and either issue another continuing resolution or go ahead and deliver a budget which would be uh, which would be the perfect situation however given that we have a lame duck Congress that uh, the congressional control has uh, shifted at least in the house there's uh, anybody's guess what sort of um, what what sort of theatrics we could see around December the 16th so we'll probably get through this next week without, without a lot of ranksmanship, but the week from the 10th to the 16th, I would say is probably a good time to uh, get popcorn and uh, watch a little c-span because i I suspect that it will be sometime late on the 15th before we know how this uh, how this particular story ends and uh, we will all knock on wood that uh, that this ends with either a continuing resolution or or a budget going forward i I would suspect a continuing resolution uh, certainly, the, uh, the new Republican majority in the House or incoming major- Republican majority will do everything in their power to have the ability to shape the new budget in the new year. The outgoing Democratic majority is obviously going to do everything in their power to uh, set a budget according to, to their priorities. So uh, so that, that will bear watching, and, and that's a lot to watch in the uh, in the weeks ahead. Absolutely, and we will be watching it certainly
0: as things progress. And uh, we're going to go now to a story that we've been talking about here on By the Bushel in in weeks past and we've been following and watching but I think that uh, we're seeing things develop as we get information from the Missouri uh, Department of Agriculture and that is our recurring story of the avian flu. What are we seeing now uh, regarding the avian flu?
1: Yes well apparently birds are, uh, birds have opted to um to to pass on the uh, free flu shots that are that are available at every uh every health clinic near you and uh, we are seeing the uh, avian flu pop up now some of this is normal but what we are seeing is the um, and and i love this name the highly pathogenic excuse me highly pathogenic avian influenza, which is a variation of the uh, avian flu that as you might guess from the name is highly pathogenic. Um, As a matter of fact, that is how it's defined. And basically this particular strain of the flu, when it enters the domestic flock, um, it means that they essentially wipe out every bird in that facility, every bird that's had contact with that facility. Uh, the facility has to be totally, completely sterilized before new birds can come into that. So when they spot that, that's a problem. Uh, at this point, I believe there are, um, there are 12 counties in uh, Missouri that have spotted the uh, highly pathogenic avian influenza. Um, now, there is also low pathogenic um, avian influenza. Which is, um, which is what we see in wildfowl, and the Department of Conservation, a little reluctant to let uh, the Department of Agriculture carry this um, all together, has uh, pointed out that uh, that, that these, these wildfowl, that these waterfowl, ducks and geese, um, could potentially carry that into the domestic flock, um, and the domestic flock beings in, in such uh, constrained um, quarters. Obviously, it spreads much faster there so the Department of Conservation has asked duck and goose hunters to look at the guide that's on their website. Um, both, both the Department of Ag and the Department of Conservation have sections on their website devoted to avian influenza. But they have asked uh, waterfowl hunters to take special precautions this year, um, not to, uh, for instance, after hunting, to dry all any and all equipment before they would go anywhere near any sort of uh, domestic agriculture uh, facility, going anywhere near a hen house, anywhere near free-range chickens, uh, anywhere uh, where, where chickens are processed, um, and they've even gone so far as to uh, recommend potentially using gloves when you uh, when you clean your your waterfowl. Um, there's there's a lot more information on their uh, on their website, and that's either the Department of Ag or the Department of Conservation. I'd recommend if you are hunting ducks and geese this year that you take a look um, they, they've got a nice um, actually a, a very nice pdf on the department of conservation website that shows how to uh, how to identify um, an infected bird and has some some concrete suggestions there so uh, any other you, you should take a look at both those websites and uh, that will show you how to identify the birds how to prevent spread and uh, give you some maps of where the uh, where the current sightings are.
0: Absolutely. Great things to keep everybody aware, keep everybody um, on top of the situation as far as that and all their, their contact exposure and, and um, helping to tackle this problem, um, hopefully before it gets too out of hand. Um, there's also a major ag event coming up this weekend. Can you tell us more about what uh, folks can expect? Who's, who's all attending? What, what, what's going on here?
1: Well, absolutely, and um, and I will confess to being just uh, slightly biased about this, although uh, <laughs> it is uh, something that um, even, uh, even someone like the Post-Dispatch uh, repeats on occasion, and that is that Missouri's largest and most important agricultural organization, that is the Missouri Farm Bureau, is holding its annual meeting uh, starting this Saturday and running through uh, next Tuesday afternoon up at the Lake of the Ozarks at uh, Margaritaville. So, in addition to looking for our lost shaker of salt, we are going to be meeting up there for for four days of uh, town hall meetings with elected officials. We will set our uh, policy goals for the uh, for the next year going forward. Uh, we will have uh, we'll have meetings, uh, informative meetings from people uh, who will be there to discuss uh, rural health care and just an awful lot of. Uh, folks involved in every aspect of agriculture all around the state coming, uh, coming to the lake for, uh, for an, an annual uh, networking and celebration of agriculture. Um, first and foremost, probably the most important thing that we do and the thing that we absolutely, uh, it would be, the, the meeting would fail if we didn't do that, do this, and that is that 700 or better, um, somewhere between 700 and 900 voting delegates from, uh, from Missouri Farm Bureau will be gathering at the lake um, to consider the recommendations of our resolutions committee and the Farm Bill Task Force and the various commodity committees on what the policies of Missouri Farm Bureau should be going into the new year. I mean, this is literally grassroots in action. These are suggestions that come from county farm bureaus around the state. We have county farm bureaus in every single county all of them submit resolutions all the commodity committees representing every major commodity grown in missouri and this year we had a farm bureau i mean farm bureau farm bill task force of people representing the major commodities and major ag groups who came together to review farm bureau policy and set recommendations to guide Missouri Farm Bureau and American Farm Bureau as we work with Congress to set the uh, the next farm bill in the US Congress uh, in this coming year or uh, at least that's that's the plan unless that gets kicked forward for another year but that will be uh, we'll have a, a full day maybe a day and a half of uh, open debate with 900 people And as you can imagine when, when 900 Farm Bureau delegates show up there's about 910 opinions represented so uh some of these uh, conversations get get pretty exciting but uh but at the end we really do come up with some great policy that reflects what people in rural missouri are looking for uh, we're very proud of the process and um you know it's, it's actually worth it's worth watching if you ever wanted to see grassroots in action that's worth worth watching of course uh, elected officials are uh, are fond of uh, they're fond of coming to uh, to hear from us uh, in terms of what our priorities are, and they're also uh, pretty fond of telling us what they've done and what they plan to do. Um, we're going to have, uh, on Monday, we're going to hear speakers including Governor Parson, Lieutenant Governor Kehoe, the Secretary of State, the State Treasurer, um, of course, as great as all of those are going to be, the uh, the uh, the keynote on uh, Monday is that we are going to have for the first time the Missouri Farm Bureau Farm Dog of the Year. This is a, a contest that we conducted uh, in conjunction with uh, with Purina and we quite, quite literally got submissions from all around the state. Um, I'm not sure how many there were. I know that there were quite a few and there were, there were a lot of very impressive dogs. Well, the winning dog is going to be there, is going to be on stage and uh, we are hopeful that he will have a few things to share with us and, and he'll be available, um, during the day at, a, at the trade show downstairs for people who want to meet the farm dog or, or at least we've been advised that he's going to be there as long as he remains a, a, a very good boy or a very good girl, um, depending on which dog wins. I'm not aware yet of, uh, exactly which one of the, uh, Finalist one, but i know that all the finalists were, were mighty fine dogs so uh, so that is something too i'll uh, look forward to we're also going to hold a symposium on rural health care and have some discussions about uh, some rural health care plans that may be offered by a uh, missouri farm bureau they're currently being offered by farm bureaus in eight states that offer some more affordable health care that's really tailored to uh, people in rural communities I'm going to talk about what we can do to, uh, to rebuild some of these um, rural hospitals and medical services uh, to promote telemedicine, um, certainly something that we're very familiar with down here in Southeast Missouri. Uh, that, that promises to be good. And we're also gonna have Ray Starling, the uh, former Chief of Staff for uh, Sonny Perdue when he was the United States Secretary of Agriculture. And uh, he's gonna be telling us a little bit about a new book of his, Food Versus Foodies, which is, um, basically the the food industry has been telling us that the food system is broken, and those of us in ag who actually grow and produce the food uh, take issue with that assertion. So uh, from his perspective, working at the Department of Agriculture, working with the food industry, working with agriculture, uh, now he works for the the North Carolina uh, Chamber of Commerce as a a consultant, and uh, he's gonna gonna come and talk to us um, if you've never heard Ray Starling, you're uh, you're in for a treat. If you make it up, I think his talk may be broadcast on Facebook Live. I'm not 100% sure yet, but um, it's going to be a uh, it's, it's going to be a pretty exciting time up at the lake. So, um, if you're a Farm Bureau member, you ought to come up. If you're not a Farm Bureau member and you have time, come on up and join us. There's a there's there's a lot for you for you to see there too, and to see that process happen.
0: Absolutely, course- and uh, we are close to the end but uh, I believe that we should have a little bit of time here just before we wrap up and this is a surprising one this week about our invasive species of the week to me because I just did not know this. Uh, can you tell us about uh, this week's invasive species?
1: Well this was uh, this, this was educational for me as well. I've, I've enjoyed doing this because each week I've learned a little more than I thought, thought there was to know about uh, some of these species and I did not realize it but apparently, um, Missouri has a major issue with invasive crawfish. Now, I call them crawfish. I know in different parts of the state they may call them crayfish or crawdads or mud bugs, but uh, whichever, whatever you call them, the invasive crawfish is a major problem. Uh, now, here, here in Missouri, we have, I believe, 35 known species of crawfish, and none of them are present in all waters of the state and in fact eight are only found in the state of missouri apparently what happens is when people bring usually through bait um, or for crawfish boils and then some of the uh, crawfish get loose um, when they bring crawfish from other states here they go in in some cases they can attack and destroy local populations of crawfish and create problems for 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 the local Populations there in that particular body of water because these crawfish are very highly adapted to the particular places that they live. So the uh, and and again, the Department of Conservation um, and the Department of Agriculture both have uh, have information on things um, that you can do to uh, to help uh, prevent the spread of invasive crawfish. One is go see they have, they have really have a great guide for how to identify the thirty five different species and where they're found in the state of missouri and that's that's some pretty fascinating stuff if you thought a crawfish was a crawfish you don't know crawfish but um there are a couple of things that they they mentioned since 2014 um it has been um illegal to uh, to personally or to, to commercially sell anything but one species of crawfish and that particular species is safe in Missouri waters, they do say that while it is legal to catch your own crawfish and use them for bait, perfectly legal, uh, they ask that you only do that—you catch crawfish and you use them in the same water or water system where you caught them. In other words, you wouldn't want to uh, catch crawfish uh, in, in the floodways here in the boot heel and then travel to Lake of the Ozarks and use those crawfish um, in that lake because they don't have the species there that we have here and those crawfish could cause a problem. I also say if you're having a crawfish boil please don't dump the live crawfish in the uh, in the local water supply because those are Louisiana crawfish and uh, they they speak with a funny accent and they'll teach our our native crawfish bad habits. But um, it is it is worth noting that uh, we do have a have a solution should you end up with too many crawfish on your hand because Missouri is also home to invasive Cajuns who are familiar with a treatment for invasive crawfish and as well as local crawfish and uh, through the careful application of boiling water salt red pepper garlic corn and do in potatoes um, they can certainly bring this whole story to a tasty end But, uh, but in all seriousness Please pay attention to, uh, to to the crawfish that you use for bait and uh, don't go dump them in the local river or the local pond unless that's where they started out. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, both educational and
0: informational, I think we all learned something here today. Barry, thank you so much. It's a, it's a pleasure talking to you as always and uh, hopefully uh, helping to spread the word about uh, catching and how to rightly uh, take care of some of our, our, our waterways and the, the foods and potential problems that I guess they offer here with <laughs> the crawfish.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. All right. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> we'll see you then. See you then. And uh, thank you all for watching. We appreciate your time as well. If you're watching here on Facebook, you can tune into our KVS live stream on the website and um, tune into Heartland News now. And we will be with you here throughout the evening here with the four five and six. Stick with us as we continue onward this evening.
1: Thank you.